suddenly, I spotted a sharp-looking sports drop with a sign on it. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Thursday, December 14th, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on the show, I talked to John Christian about the man who's trying to hold Google accountable for its misleading search results. And Alex Nichols explores how a sixth grader named Keaton started a viral firestorm. Here's the dispatch. The future. Earlier this week, a man in New York detonated a bomb under 42nd Street. Google almost immediately surfaced shaky, unconfirmed information at the top of search results. It was a reminder of how Google often highlights erroneous reports in the immediate aftermath of breaking news. These rapidly shifting results are quickly lost in time as the search engine's algorithms self-correct, and it makes it difficult for outsiders to hold Google accountable for spreading potentially harmful information. But now there's a group working on a concept for a system that would create a record of search engine results. John Christian talked to the founder of the project about how it works. Hi, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. So first off, why would you analyze search results at all? Well, I think we're starting to realize that, um, that that search engines are a major portal by way of which people access information about breaking news. And the incident in New York that you referenced certainly isn't the first time that this has been a problem. After the La- Las Vegas strip shooting earlier this year, um, when people uh, uh, searched for, for breaking news about that, Google was returning top stories from 4chan, conspiracy theories, uh, things that, that blamed the, the wrong person for the, the slaughter. So um, I think there's a, there's a very valid critique here that search results currently are ephemeral in a way that much of the rest of the web is not. And it would be really wonderful if we could establish a um, a permanent record that would be could be analyzed and that could hold search engines um, accountable for for how uh, their information develops. How would this project actually work? The plan, the Sunlight Society's plan, is to recruit a network of uh, collaborators who will um, who will be paid for their participation, much like Nielsen families who who are used for collecting uh, data about who and how many people are watching different um, television programs. Except uh, in this case, instead of collecting information about TV, they're going to be looking at their um, their search results, not just what they're searching for, but also what the results are and how they're ordered and how that changes over time and how it uh, varies between different demographics, which I think is a really, really exciting idea. What is this organization pointing to as their reasoning for doing this project? Well, I think they're interested in all sorts of things. Specifically, the one of the driving personalities behind this project is, is Dr. Robert Epstein. Um, and, and he's done some research in recent years that um, appears to demonstrate that, among other things, the ordering of search results can influence how people uh, vote at the polls. And he says that one really valuable thing about this project would be that it would be um, a way to hold um, search engines accountable for potential bias in their results. What has he researched in the past and what has he found just in his work? 
Well, he's an enormously accomplished psychologist. He's he's written many books. He's done uh, a lot of work on on adolescent psychology. He's also a serious character. He doesn't get along with Google at all. He refuses to communicate if you're using Gmail because Google could potentially have access to the messages. There was a very strange event a few years ago when Google marked that Epstein's personal website had been compromised by malware. So Epstein started firing off emails copied to Google executives and attorneys and his congressperson. And then in the end, it turned out that his site actually had been hijacked in, in some way. And, and he's, he's sort of never let it up with Google since. He once wrote a very strange piece for the Huffington Post that's sort of like an Onion-style obituary for himself, saying that he was run over by a Google streetcar. And then at the, at the very end, it says that it's satire. And I, I personally didn't, um, didn't quite get the joke. But in spite of all that, the Sunlight Society is, is a, a fantastic idea. I personally hope it succeeds because I'd love to see that data. And I think it would be an invaluable reporting tool and he's uh, Epstein certainly has a lot of um, unimpeachable collaborators on his side. So I wish them luck. What do you think these search results actually do to people aside from potentially influencing their their vote or their perception of a breaking news situation? How is this changing what we think about what's going on in the world and, and when things happen? I think the reality is that we get a lot of our information through search engines and you know specifically through Google it's incredibly popular because it's an incredibly good platform and i think we should be thinking really hard about 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 the paths that we we take through it to get to the, you know the the information we want how we inform ourselves what does it take for this to go forward is this actually going to happen um Epstein says he hopes that it launches in the second half of 2018. It would be a major technical achievement. You know, I, I, I hope it works. I, I, um, and I hope they find the, the funding in particular to, to bring it to fruition. John Christian is a contributing writer at The Outline. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me on. Earlier this week, the internet ate itself over a viral video starring Keaton Jones, a sixth grader from Tennessee who complained of verbal harassment from his classmates. What did they say to you? They me, they make fun of my nose, they call me ugly, they say I have no friends. What'd they do to you at lunch? Put milk on me and put a hand down my clothes, threw bread at me. Celebrities came out in support of Keaton and a GoFundMe was set up to raise money for him. But as time passed, questionable details about Keaton's family surfaced, and the feel-good story of the internet banding together to help a bullying victim turned a little sour. Alex Nichols is here to talk about why the internet keeps falling for viral narratives. Hi, Alex. Hi. What was, what was Keaton Jones complaining about in this viral video that swept the internet this week? So Keaton Jones was complaining that his classmates were saying he had no friends, that he was ugly, just a bunch of horrible stuff. He's crying in the video. And it tugged at a lot of people's heartstrings. His mother was filming it. She uploaded it to her Facebook. And then it ended up escaping into the wider internet. And it really quickly 
found its way to some of the biggest celebrities in the world. Someone made a GoFundMe. It got $58,000 before it was put on hold. This all happened in like 24 hours. It was really remarkable. Why do you think there was such a strong reaction to the video? I don't know. I think people have a natural inclination to feel sorry for kids and everyone has experience with bullying and stuff. But even then, it seemed kind of exaggerated how much, how quickly it spread through the internet and how many celebrities jumped on it all at once and how much money it got. It was pretty absurd. Who were some of the celebrities that reacted to it? Um, LeBron James, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, both Tennessee senators, a bunch of Tennessee athletes, just like basically everyone you can imagine, everyone with a social media presence. And then things kind of shifted. What came to light? Well, people discovered that Kimberly Jones, the boy's mother, had some uh, pictures on her Facebook of her and her family holding Confederate flags. She had a picture with that uh, that stupid detail that says, I stand for the flag, I kneel for the cross. That created a firestorm. Eventually, someone made a fake Instagram account as Kimberly Jones and then emailed an MMA guy some racist stuff that turned out to be an imposter. Uh, rumors got started that he was being bullied because he said the N-word to people at school. I don't think I've seen any actual proof of that so far, but that was that led to the GoFundMe being taken down. A bunch of the celebrities walked back their endorsements. The GoFundMe wasn't taken down. It was put on hold. It's still available. Then later it came out that the boy's estranged father is actually in prison for assault and his Facebook is full of stuff about Aryan pride and um, being proud to be white and stuff like that. So that put even more of a damper on things. Why did a GoFundMe pop up to begin with? I don't know. There's sort of a, a meeting of two strange modern phenomena where one is that the internet comes together to show support for these viral stories. And then another one is where people think that every single problem can be solved through crowdfunding, even if it's not a financial issue. When I was like following the story, I it reminded me of whenever a kid will post a video of them dancing or something, and then two weeks later they'll show up on Ellen, and Ellen will give them a giant check for like $10,000, and then everyone's happy. And it's just this cycle of virality that leads to money in some way and 15 seconds of fame. Um, but this one is like a lot darker than that. What do you think this reveals about the tendencies of people online? Well, I think there's a sense of desperation about it. It's not really meant to be a feel-good thing as much as it's just like a stab in the dark at tackling some sort of vague pain and suffering by just throwing money at it. And I, I don't see how that could really accomplish anything. Just giving tens of thousand dollars to some kid because he felt bad at school. Yeah, I mean, I think that the responsibility or the conversation about the responsibility for these things kind of falls to celebrities and their teams in a way as well, because 
it was almost immediate where you saw a bunch of football players who were responding to him and they recorded videos saying like, you know, Keaton, you can come to, uh, you know, come to my game or you can come to my concert. And it just kind of creates a validity to something that we don't really understand just yet. So, I mean, do you think that celebrities should be held accountable for when they signal boost things like this? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of them are trying to walk it back now. But it, it, it was very strange how how many celebrities jumped on this all at once to post messages of support. Like, so many that I don't think he would have even been able to see them all. Yeah, it was very overwhelming. Like, I think that, uh, to me at least, it, it was underscoring that a lot of the response to it wasn't really genuine. It was just, you know celebrities trying to jump in and cash in on this moment to, you know, align themselves with what at at the beginning was a positive narrative about. Yeah. You know, it's just like, this is what we're doing now. And so it's a very, um, it, it doesn't re it's a vague cause. It doesn't require a lot of commitment. It's nonpartisan. That's why we see a uh, Melania Trump standing up for, uh, anti-bullying, which is like just ridiculous. Because it's just a, it's a vague thing that you can, anyone can be for. It doesn't really mean anything. You don't really have to do anything, but you, you get points for saying it anyway. Alex Nichols is a contributing writer at The Outline. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. That's all for our show. We're off tomorrow, but if you subscribe to the Outline World Dispatch in any podcast app that you like, you'll hear our next episode on Monday. I'm Aaron Edwards. Thanks for listening. <laughs>